Now, if you are like me, and it was a bit of a rush out the door this morning, and you've forgotten your Bible, that is totally okay. Our Frontlines teams actually have Bibles that you can grab, uh, or maybe you don't even have a Bible, and you would like to, uh, to grab one this morning. You can actually keep this as, as our gift to you. So again, we're going to read from Daniel 2, verse 31 to 45. If you are actually using this guy, it's page 738, just to save you a little bit of time. All right, Daniel 2, 31 to 45. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell you... Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hands he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over all of them. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay." And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever." Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it is always fun to be together, and uh, as has already been said, uh, very happy Mother's Day. I want to give a very special thank you to all of our volunteers. Um, As has been said before, but maybe you weren't aware, there are over 200 people that volunteer uh, every single month uh, to help us coordinate what happens here on Sunday mornings for our gatherings. But then each week, there's usually around 40 to 50 people. And so some people showed up early this morning and had to miss out on some of maybe their annual Mother's Day festivities. I know for Andrea, my wife, I left, and so she was left with our two little boys. And so if you uh, have volunteered here and you're part of that, thank you so much for serving. Uh, And bless 
blessing all of us because we're all in this together. We are family of brothers and sisters caring for each other and hopefully using our gifts and our skills and everything that we can bring to the table so we can serve one another together. So thank you so much for serving and gathering together. Well, you may also uh, be aware, and you may be not aware, that this morning a uh, tragedy has taken place in Indonesia. Uh, the most recent article I've read uh, was 3.20 a.m. I wasn't up at 3.20 a.m., but that's when the article came out. And there were three separate suicide bombers that uh, attacked churches in Indonesia early this morning. And at this point, I believe there's 10 or 11 killed and over 40 people are in um, the hospital wounded. Uh, And so I just want to take a moment and I want to pray for our Indonesian uh, brothers and sisters, fellow Jesus followers, uh, that God would encourage them this morning and that their faith uh, and their example would challenge us and encourage us as we sit here and in very different circumstances. So let's pray for them this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we are part of a global church. God, we are not an isolated group of believers here, but God, we have brothers and sisters that are all around the world. And so God, our heart breaks finding out about fellow brothers and sisters, people that just simply were gathering this morning to serve you, to get together with you, to understand you more, to follow the way of Jesus together, to live out the rhythm of weekly gathering. And so we are burdened for the Indonesian church. And God, we are also burdened. Um, I believe ISIS has now taken credit for this attack. God, people that are motivated by uh, a legalistic faith. And so we pray, Lord, for those that uh, claim allegiance to ISIS and to the Muslim faith. God, we pray that you would change their hearts. And God, that they would come to know you, Jesus. And you, Jesus, came to this earth not to take life, but instead to give your life as a ransom for many. And so, God, we pray, we pray so desperately, Jesus, that you would change what we experience, that you'd give us understanding as far as what's going on, and that you'd give us broken hearts. May we not forget, Lord, our global family. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, we are week two into a series in the book of Daniel, and many of us maybe are aware of stories from Daniel, and we'll be going over some of those stories over the next six weeks. Uh, But we began last week in describing and understanding that Daniel is a book written to a group of people and about a group of people that are finding themselves in exile in a land that is not their own. And last week we discovered that like these uh, Israelites, these Jewish people in Babylon, we too have an experience in our world like that of exile. Uh, this could be a general understanding, as I described last week, a quote from C.S. Lewis that talks about, if you have a desire that seems to not be met in this world, then it certainly would be an apologetic that maybe there's a reason to believe that there's another world that you are created for. But then for those of us that are followers of Jesus, we live in a land that is governed by rules and laws and regulations that are not our own, that we read about in the scriptures. And so the way that we engage our world matters, and the way that we think about our world matters. And so Daniel is an incredible place for us to spend some time as we discover and as we discuss what it means to actually live in the culture in which we live and follow the way of Jesus faithfully together. And this this story from Indonesia is exactly that. Like, what is going on? Right? Do you, like, just stop for a second. Let's let this, like, think about this broken world that we live in. 
that these individuals were going to gather with their church communities. And suicide bombers were sent targeting them. This is the experience of a land that is not our own. A few weeks ago, I introduced us, and some of you know this, but I introduced us to a storyline of the scriptures. And so I'm going to put on uh, a slide here that exemplifies what we're talking about when we're talking about this grand story that we're a part of. And the storyline, the worldview of the Christian, for followers of Jesus, is that God created the world, and he created it good. He created it beautiful. And then humanity rebelled against God, which is the reason for this brokenness that's in the world, which is the reason, as others have called it, the fall. This rebellion against God, against his ways, and turning and going after their own ways. We then have the introduction of God saying, I'm not going to abandon my people, but I'm going to enter into life with them. And he calls a man by the name of Abram. He says, through you and through your family, I'm going to bless the earth. And then we follow the story. And Daniel falls between this promise and this redemption. When a day will come where there will be a redemption. And for those of us that know the story, Jesus represents that redemption. God become flesh to dwell among us. To show us a different way. A different way to relate to God because he is God. It's beautiful. And then we await the final day of restoration. And so the Christian understanding as to why things like this happen in our world is that we live on this side of heaven awaiting the final restoration and things are not the way that they ought to be. But we live hopeful that Jesus will return, that true justice will be given, and that our king will rule and reign forever. But in the meantime, we sit in here as the church, awaiting that day, yet knowing what has happened through and because of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I need to be thinking about this when I read things like that, right? You read things about Indonesia, you're like, what is going on? Where do we find ourselves? And every worldview has to account for that. So whether or not you're a follower of Jesus or not, you have to account for why are these, do these things happen? What is going on? And so we wait and we look forward to a day when all things will be restored. And as I said, we find ourselves here in the book of Daniel, here in the promise section, awaiting Jesus. And as I described last week, we are introduced in chapter 1. And chapter 1 of Daniel is really a summary chapter for the entirety of Daniel's time and ministry in Babylon. But chapter 1 gave us that introduction. In verse 17 of chapter 1, we read this. And this is the introduction to chapter 2. We read this, and this will be on the screen for you. Daniel 1 verse 17. As for these four youths, he's speaking of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now in chapter 1, it's, it's sort of a summary statement. But as I said, here in chapter 2, chapter 2 goes right after this. And in chapter 2, we're once again introduced to King Nebuchadnezzar. And in the second year of his reign, and as we looked at last week, the timing of this is around probably about from 604 B.C. to 603 A.D. He has this dream. And we read in the beginning of chapter 2 that the dream disturbs him and sleep leaves him. Have you ever had one of those dreams where you woke up and you weren't actually sure what you dreamt, but you were just awoken, you couldn't go back to sleep? Any of you ever had one of those dreams where you, you like were dreaming that you fell and then like you landed on your bed? You're like, whoa, was I like 
above my bed there? Was it hovering above my bed? I just landed? Like, it's so strange. But many of you maybe have had dreams in which you were disturbed. And you woke up and you couldn't make of what your dream was. But one thing is for sure, you couldn't go back to sleep. And that's what happens with King Nebuchadnezzar here. He, he has a dream that disturbs him. And so in response to this experience, he calls together his wise men, his sorcerers, the Chaldeans, and he calls them together and he makes two requests. He says, one, I would like you to tell me what my dream was. And then two, I'd like you to tell me what my dream means. Now, um, how would you respond to something like this? Maybe you consider yourself a wise person, right? You're probably thinking, that's impossible. Can you give me some hints? Can you give me some clues? What was in your dream? And that's exactly what they do. And he says, you're stalling. Tell me what my dream was and tell me what it meant, what it means. And they say this, uh, verse 10 and 11 of chapter 2. There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. <laughs> and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not in the flesh. See what they're saying? What you're asking is an impossibility. No human being can possibly do that. Only the gods could potentially help. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar, the narcissist that he is, responds and says, well, this is not why I have you as my wise men, my sorcerers, and my enchanters. And he makes this ferocious response and says, we're going to kill all of the wise men of Babylon. Like, what? All of the wise men of Babylon. Like, what a, rep what a response, right? Like, he's clearly... He's clearly all about himself, and he's clearly over the top here, right? He says, we're going to kill every wise man. And so then we get introduced once again to Daniel because uh, a guard is sent, and they're trying to gather up the, all the wise men. And guess what? Daniel and his three friends are some of this group. And so Daniel is going to lose his life. Except Daniel makes this bold suggestion, and he says to the guard that comes to get him, he says, wait, 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 wait. I will tell the king what his dream is. The guard says, what? What? So I will tell the king what his dream is. Just give me the night. And so Daniel goes back and he finds his three friends. And so I want, you to, I want to read with you just a few verses here before we jump into the dream and its interpretation. But verse 17 of Daniel 2 we read this. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Those are their Jewish names. As remember last week, their names were changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Notice, notice what he does here, right? He's not, let's go ask the gods, plural, like the wise men suggested, he says, we're going to ask the God, the God of heaven, concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Their life is on the line. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. 
He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So Daniel goes out on the ledge, right? Now you got to think, he's got a few options. He either, you know, he's got really nothing to lose. But in this moment, he declares and says, believes that his God is going to give him the dream and the dream's interpretation. And he goes to his friends and he says, we got to pray for the mercy of God. Seek God with me, that God will tell us what this dream is going to mean and what it is. Now, we can learn a little bit from Daniel's example here related to tough times and difficult situations and circumstances, right? One is like, are we seeking God in community? Are are we seeking God and saying, like, go to your missional community and say, hey, like, I need to know what God's desire is for my life in this particular area. Will you pray with me and come alongside me as we go on this journey together? And Daniel does this. He's, he's, He's desperate. He needs his friends and he needs to hear from God. And we read in these little verses that God reveals to him what the dream is. And then Daniel has his appointed time, and he goes before the king of Babylon. (laughs) So remember this story, right? Remember just from last week. Here is Daniel, an exiled uh, Judean. He's here in Babylon. He's being indoctrinated in the ways of Babylon. And here he is, just basically a nobody. He's not a Babylonian himself. And here he is, here's Daniel, only two chapters into Daniel, standing before the king of Babylon. I want you to think of who you think is maybe the most powerful person in the world, and then think of like who is one of the least likely people to ever spend time with the most powerful person in the world. In some ways, it gives you an understanding of what's going on here. It's impossible what's about to happen. It's not only impossibility that someone could just like find out a dream, not being told anything. It's then an impossibility that Daniel would stand before the king of Babylon. The most powerful kingdom on the earth at this present time. And so Daniel comes before King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's going to tell the king what his dream is and what it means. Crazy! This is what he says. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of seeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. So right away, he introduces us to this dream, and what's going on in this dream? Well, the king sees an image. And in the image, there's a head of gold, there's chest and arms of silver, there's a middle and thighs of bronze, and then there's legs of iron and clay. He's laying it out for them. This is what you saw, and it was frightening. And maybe you're sitting here today, and imagine seeing this image in your mind. It's frightening. It's a frightening image. As you look, verse 34, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze and silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. 
But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So what's going on? We're now introduced. We had an image. We're now introduced to a stone. What are we told about the stone? It's cut out by no human hand. So it's supernatural. It strikes the image starting at the feet and obliterates the image completely. And at the end of the day, it becomes a great mountain and fills the entire earth. So what is the dream? There is clearly a stone in opposition to this image. And the stone is the thing that ends up breaking the image completely. Now, (laughs) so Daniel's done step one, right? Tell me what my dream is. There's the dream. What about the interpretation? Verse 36 to 45. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Now, let's just stop for a second. Notice who Daniel gives the credit to. The God of heaven. Not gods, plural. You, O king, have power because God of heaven has given it to you. Now, that is, that is like a significant statement to a narcissist, most powerful person in the known world. Your power is not from yourself. Your power is from the God of heaven. Now, as we study history, Daniel is not lying. The head in this image is Babylon. And they're in power from 605 to 539 BC. So there you go. Then, the second part of the interpretation. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. Now this is where, like, you got to start thinking, like, do you really want to be the one to tell the king of Babylon this? Like, your kingdom's going to end. You're going to be taken over. But this is what he does. And as we study history, we read that this actually comes through. The second kingdom would be Media Persia, who's represented by the chest and arms, and they're in power from 539 to 331. The third kingdom, as we study history, under Alexander the Great, would be Greece, represented by the middle and thighs, led by Alexander the Great. And they're in power from 336 to 146 B.C. What about the fourth kingdom? And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they shall mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. So here's three kingdoms. We're now introduced to a fourth kingdom. And as we study history, we read about Rome. And so Rome is this fourth kingdom. Now, it's debated how long uh, Rome was in power. There's the imperial period from 146 B.C. to 1476 A.D. versus 500 years of the republican period. 
Now, as you study the specific verses here, there's some ambiguity related to the division that is clearly talked about in this particular dream. But if you study Rome, you know that as Rome was growing in power and it took on different provinces, you realize that there was division in the Roman control and in the Roman Empire. And so here we're introduced to Rome. So what is Daniel so far saying? You're in power. You have your power from the God of heaven. But there are going to be kingdoms that are going to come after you. And you're no longer going to be in power. That's not an, that's not an easy message, <laughs> you know, to give the most powerful person in the world. Here you go. Remember, I'm just a nobody, but here you go. We have the image But what about the stone? Verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and it's internal interpretation sure now you got to remember this is all written prior to all of those kingdoms coming that's pretty amazing right that this dream was had told and interpreted prior to all of these other kingdoms actually coming into power and we now sit here and we're like whoa that's like that's phenomenal that daniel knew But what do we know so far about this stone? What is this stone? Well, we know, one, that the stone is going to start small. It's represented by a stone. Unlike the other kingdoms, it's going to be supernatural in its formation. As you read in verse 34, it's going to be cut out by no human hand. It's going to be supernatural. And then it's going to be universal and unending. It's going to become a great mountain and fill the earth. And then it will, it's going to stand forever. Incredible. So what's with the stone? We'll get there. This is how King Nebuchadnezzar responds. (laughs) Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him rule over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Wow. So the response is an offering is made to Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar, the one that worships a multitude of gods, acknowledges and gives praise to Daniel's God, the God. Daniel is then promoted. He saves the wise men of the land. And then finally, Daniel requests that his three friends also be promoted as well. What a change of circumstance from last week when we read about the exile. Suddenly, Daniel's before the most powerful person in the world, and now he is in charge of all that goes on in the province of Babylon. So what do we make of this? How do we apply what we read today? And I made the point last week, so it'll be familiar to some of us, but in spite of circumstances, God is in control. Think about this. Think about the various things that have come out, right? Exile in Babylon to begin with. 
right? We're, we to, are told in chapter 1 that God gave them into the hands of the Babylonians, the Judeans. God's in control and God revealing the dream and its interpretation to Daniel. And then we read in verse 30, 37 that earthly power has a heavenly authority. Verse 37, chapter 2. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory. See what Daniel's saying is, Nebuchadnezzar, you think you're something, but the power that you have originates from God of heaven. So in spite of our circumstances, God is in control. Now that's mysterious, right? It's a nice statement. But many of us, I'm sure, have been in situations and circumstances where that's the last thing like it felt God had. I'm sure in this exile they were feeling that way. Yet here we can look at it after the fact and see that God was part of every piece of the puzzle. Secondly, this is amazing, but Jesus is the stone who establishes his kingdom. Maybe you were already like thinking that, right? Like, hmm, I wonder who the stone is. The stone is Jesus. The scriptures are clear. Luke 20, verse 17 and 18. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A quote from Psalm 118, verse 22. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Isaiah 8, verse 14 and 15. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. Isaiah 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid the foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes this will not be in haste. Jesus is the stone. Jesus shows up in Daniel. You think about that? Jesus is showing up in Daniel. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel's laying it out. There's going to be this kingdom, there's going to be this kingdom, this kingdom, and then there's going to be a stone, a supernatural stone. It's going to be Jesus. So Jesus the stone, firstly, establishes his kingdom. We read in Mark 1, verses 14 to 15, during the reign of Rome. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of who? God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus the stone begins building out his kingdom. Now, what do we know about Jesus' kingdom in relation to what we know about this stone? Well, one thing is for sure is that Jesus' kingdom starts small. Some of you are maybe familiar with Jesus' parables about seeds. And in Mark 4, verses 30 to 32, Jesus said this, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is grown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and put out, puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Just like this stone, we are told that the kingdom of God, as Jesus said, will start small. 
like the mustard seed, but when it's done, it's going to fill the whole place. Secondly, Jesus says of his kingdom, it's going to be supernatural. We know this about Jesus because Jesus, as we're told in Luke 1, verse 26 to 28, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. What was said about the stone? That it would be cut out by no human hand. It needed to be supernatural. And here we read of Jesus, that his birth is supernatural. What else does Jesus tell us about his kingdom? It's universal and unending. In Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus says before he ascends, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He's not saying just in Jerusalem. The whole earth will be filled with the kingdom of God. And then what we also know about Jesus' kingdom, as we touched on earlier, is that it is already and it is not yet. John 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. So we have peace in Jesus' kingdom, but in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is the stone who establishes his kingdom. The question I ask is, do you believe that? Do you believe here what we're reading in Daniel? Do you believe that this stone that was in this dream is Jesus? Do you see the incredible reality of what Daniel is prophesying to this king? And that this actually has come true. It's not like it's an isolated story. We now live in its reality. You and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, are part of the kingdom of God. And it's expanding. You and I sitting here are part of this whole dream. You know how I know? You were not one of the original followers of Jesus. You were not one of the original disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus now, you are a direct connection to this dream. That the kingdom of God has expanded and made its way over. And now we're sitting in Canada, in Guelph, Ontario. Part of the same kingdom that was foretold in 600 BC. How crazy is that? It's bizarre. Daniel wasn't lying. He could have just dropped the mic. And we're all sitting here going, oh, a neat story. It's a fantastic story and you're part of it. Get excited. God's in control. His kingdom is expanding. And we're promised here, as everything has happened so far as he said it was going to happen, that this kingdom is going to fill the earth. Do you not long for a day where the kingdom of God will fill the earth? If you hear news about what happened in Indonesia and you don't go, we need something different. I'll tell you about something different. It's the kingdom of God and we need it to fill the earth. And you and I are part of the story of extending and expanding this kingdom. Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. 
Tell them about my kingdom. Show them what the kingdom is like. We are to live into the way of Jesus, participating in his kingdom, so that other people will look at us and say, they live by a different rubric. They live in light of a different kingdom. As I challenge you who are followers of Jesus, do your neighbors see you in that light? Do they look at you and say, they live differently. They are part of a different kingdom. They have a different rubric for how they measure things. They're about parties, as we talked about last week. Sometimes I worry, and I'm just going to be honest with you, sometimes I worry that my neighbors look at me and they think I'm just way too busy. And they say, I want nothing to do with that guy's life because he's out every night of the week. What does the kingdom of God speak into our life in this way? You know, it's now sort of a, a check mark or a pat on the back if you're in a conversation with somebody like, oh, how's it going? Oh, busy. Oh, good for you. Way to go. You rock. You have stuff to do. I'm waiting for the day, and i got to put intense discipline in my life where somebody is able to say, how are you doing? Oh, man, i got nothing to do. It's amazing. I can lay in my hammock. You know, I have a great job. I can work. I have good boundaries in place. But, like, I've got, it. I've got a great, great, great way that I think about my life. You know, Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. I've got time. Oh, you need help in your backyard? I'd love you to give you the time to help you in your backyard. It's the way of Jesus. Are we thinking about his kingdom? Are we participating in it? Well, what's the gospel in light of Daniel 2? This is the gospel and yet another incredible connection is that Jesus is the better Daniel who innocently stood before a king yet was punished with death for the sins of others and who endured the punishment to come back to life three days later so that he could save and forgive the very people who caused his death. Jesus is the better Daniel who innocently stood before a king yet was punished with death for the sins of others and who endured the punishment to come back to life three days later so that he could save and forgive the very people who caused his death. Think, think about that. Jesus standing before King Herod. As Daniel stands before King Nebuchadnezzar. The life is on the line for Daniel. Yet Jesus stands there. Rather than making a case for his innocence, he says, no, I'm going to go to the cross so that I can save all of humanity with my life. It's incredible. But it asks us and makes us ask the question, a couple of things. Of which king and which kingdom has your allegiance? Which king and which kingdom has your, your allegiance? Are you extending the rule and the reign of Jesus' kingdom? And what I mean by that is, does Jesus have the rule and the reign of your life? Are you thinking about those things? Of what would Jesus have for me? Or what is Jesus doing right now in and through me, on my street, in my workplace? Wherever you live, work, learn, and play. To take into consideration how the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God, how it's mixing in your life. You have a king who died for you. That's amazing. Dave, Gabe, Gabe Lyons and David Kinneman 
in their book answer this question of how we can extend Jesus' kingdom in our day and age. And they write this. Our love and orthodoxy bring good to society when we pursue our God-given calling. This includes our career, entrepreneurs, public officials, scientists, writers, teachers, pastors, dental hygienists, and so on. But it also encompasses how we parent, how we practice hospitality, how we steward our sexual lives, and how we engage in conversations. We are called to be faithful in all of life's complexities. I would just encourage you, if you've never thought about your life and your influence on this world and what you do as part of your vocation, to see yourself as being in a place where you can extend the rule and reign of Jesus in what you do. And I don't know what all of you do for a living, but I would encourage you to extend the rule and reign of Jesus wherever he has placed you, that he has you there for a reason, that he has you there for a purpose. You know, we've for too long in, in, in the big C church only celebrated those who, who go away on mission trips. And this is why we are expressing to you, and like last Sunday we said, would all the tradespeople please stand up? Or a few weeks ago, would all the people who work in the health sector please stand up? Because all of us are called to extend the rule and reign of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're all on a constant mission trip. We're in exile to a kingdom that is not our own to extend the rule and the reign of Jesus. Are you doing that where you live, work, learn, and play? But more than that, do you trust your king and do you trust that his kingdom will extend throughout the entire earth? You know, we all have a choice which kingdom we're going to participate in. And how about you? But I want to be in the kingdom that's going to like cover the planet. Do you? You can follow this king. If we can come alongside you and pray for you this morning, we'd invite you to come to the front. We have people here that would love to come alongside you. They're the ones with the white lanyards opposed to a different color lanyard or no lanyards. They'd love to pray with you, uh, to come alongside you, to encourage you. We're going to respond in song now. So I'm going to invite our band to come up. But as we do that, let me pray. Let's ask our king Jesus to extend his rule and his reign in and through our lives and in this city so that Guelph can look more like heaven than not because of our presence in it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so incredibly thankful for Daniel. I'm so incredibly thankful that in spite of circumstances that you are in control and we sit here, God, now finding ourselves in the midst of this dream of King Nebuchadnezzar in 604 BC, 2,600 years ago, it was foretold that a kingdom would expand and that it would expand the planet. And we now sit here in Guelph, Ontario, Canada, understanding that this dream and its interpretation has come true. And God, we look forward to and we long for the day when your kingdom will expand and take over this, this world. God, our heart breaks for the brokenness that we experience. But we are thankful that in the midst of it, the kingdom is already, yet we understand it's not yet. So encourage our faith this morning. We pray for the motherless here. Would you extend your rule and your reign in their lives? 
May they know that you're near them. We thank you for all the spiritual mothers who are living in light of the kingdom, not staying isolated in their own paternal family, but extending their love into the lives of other people. God, we need more. We need more mothers. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.